anyone comes to me without hating his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If anyone said that, you'd probably think they were crazy. And there's also no chance that someone would want to follow someone who says, you can't follow me unless you hate everybody else in your own life. Yet, here we are, 2,000 years later, following the guy who said just very that, just that. And the people who Jesus said that to still followed him. So what's he getting at? What's going on? Why, what, why does he say we need to hate everybody else? What is, what is he meaning when he says that? I think it's not just this idea of a feeling, it's not this idea of like, you know, a teenage I hate you kind of tantrum that you may or may not have experienced or participated in. When Jesus says hate, it's a very specific expression in the culture he was was in at the time. It kind of means like to, to love less, so to speak. So when Jesus says you must hate all these other people to follow me, what Jesus is saying is that we have to say that I prefer Jesus to everything else in my own life. He's saying that if there's anything else in front of me in your life, then you can't truly be my disciple. Because if you're my disciple, I have to be the number one. There can be nothing else ahead of me. Think there's, there's an, does that, so what does that mean? Does that mean that we can't have anything else in our own life besides Jesus? Is that the, is that the only relationship we can focus on? I don't think that's what he's getting at. There's a a line in some of the older forms of the marriage rite where the spouses would say to each other a line that I think captures this, this idea pretty well. They would say, forsaking all others, I choose you. Forsaking all others, I choose you. So does that mean in a spouse, in, in, a, in a, every, every married couple can have no other relationships in their own life besides the husband and wife? That's the only one they can have? Of course not. What it is saying is that when it comes to a competition between your wife and your friends, your wife always wins. I don't know what the chuckles are for. (laughs) Or your husband and your parents, or even your kids, the husband always wins. That relationship is, is primary, and that has to order all the other relationships around it. If that relationship is solid then everything else around it and under it is going to be in order. It's kind of the ordering principle. So what Jesus is saying is that that relationship, our relationship with the Lord, has to be number one. There can be nothing before that relationship. And if that's, the, if that's true, if that's the case, then everything else under that is going to be ordered. And if we're firmly rooted and grounded on that relationship, then we're going to have the courage and the desire to do what he says right after that to take up our own crosses daily, and to follow after him. That's the proper ordering, and that's where we get that that motivation from. Now, as we hear that, we hear, okay, put Jesus first, and if I put Jesus first, everything else comes to order, but that involves taking up my cross daily and following him. Two questions at least come to my mind. Why would I want to do that, and how can I do that? Why would I want to put this guy first when putting him first entails taking up my cross every day, sacrificing, renouncing things that I actually do enjoy, you know, having him to come into these relationships that I think are important? Why would I want to do that? The, the, the fundamental, simple answer 
is that that's what we were made for. That's what our hearts are actually longing for. Because the words that we heard in the first reading are, are true. I think we can all agree with that. That our deliberations, our own plans are timid. Our plans are unsure. We're burdened. We're weighed down by all kinds of concerns. Our hearts are longing for something more. We don't find satisfaction in all the things and all of our own plans. We try to plan everything out our way. We have all these ideas and, and schedules and plans. And more often than not, it doesn't work. Something's off, and our hearts are missing something. It's a quote by St. Augustine, Our hearts are restless until they rest in Thee, O Lord. That our hearts, were, there's this longing that we can't seem to satisfy, this longing that we can't fill, no matter how hard we try, it's because the things that we try to fill it with aren't actually what we were made for. And the Lord's constant theme is the response that we sang in the Psalms. In every age, O Lord, you have been our refuge. That's what the Lord is trying, has been trying to show to humanity from the first moment of creation up until now. The whole history of salvation, the whole history of mankind, all the way down to the, most, the smallest and most minute details of each one of our own lives, is the Lord trying to break in and to reveal to us that He is our refuge that He is our fulfillment, and that He longs to come into each one of your lives and to reveal Himself as a Savior, as the one who brings this true fulfillment that we're longing for. And that's what He wants to do more than anything else. And despite the fact that it seems like it shouldn't make sense, that's, that's what we were made for. That's actually what we are longing for. That's the why. Why do we take up our cross? Because in the cross we find fulfillment. Now, how do we do that? How do we make Jesus the number one? And how do we take up our cross daily? How do we prefer him to all else? What can that look like? How do we let him speak to our hearts to give us the fulfillment that we're longing for? So a, a little a question that I heard from a priest that kind of attempts to answer this. And he says that if, if we do this thing, if we answer this question, he says, then we're all going to be saints. But if we don't do this, then we're never going to be. And the question is this. Are you willing to let Jesus interrupt your life? Are you willing to let Jesus interrupt your own plans? To let Jesus interrupt your time? To let him interrupt your relationships? Because if we are, if we do allow him to interrupt us, then we're going to be saints. But if we don't, then we never will be. What's he getting at when he asks that question? If we're willing to let Jesus interrupt our life concretely, then there's a recognition there that I'm not relying on my own, that I'm not preferring myself, but I'm actually looking for ways that the Lord can, inter can, can, can speak to me, and that I'm willing to let go of my own plans and follow to wh where he's leading me to go. It shows very concretely that I prefer Jesus' plans to my own plans, and I'm looking for that so that whenever these moments in my life present themselves and I feel the Lord's invitation, I'm willing to change my plans and follow to where he's leading me. I'm willing to let him speak to my own heart so that I can change my thoughts and give myself to where he's inviting me. And the answer to that question, am I willing to let Jesus interrupt my life, may not always be yes. 
most of the time, it's probably not yes. We like our own plans. We don't want to be interrupted. We like to have our schedules and our, our own trajectories, and that's obviously what, where, where our hearts most of the time like to go. Maybe we don't want to live up to the standard that Jesus is offering to us. And it's a good question to ask. You know, Jesus in the gospel said, who, who you should take stock before we, before we set off. Do we have the resources to build the tower? Do I have the troops to win the battle? But what, what I don't think he's saying is that that shouldn't be something that prevents us from starting. Because we may not know if we'll be able to live up to the task that Jesus has for us. We may not know if we'll be able to finish the tower or to win the war. But if we never start, then we will never know. If we never start in these little ways, we're never going to know if we finish because our, our fear, our, our insecurity has held us back from starting. The apostles, when Jesus called them, I'm sure they had no idea to the extent to which they, 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 their lives, literally their lives, were going to be demanded of them. But when Jesus called them, they felt the tug in their hearts. They were willing to let themselves be interrupted, and they said yes at that moment. And that one yes was followed by another and another and another. And because they started, they were able to walk with Jesus to that finish line. But it's because they started because they had the trust to let themselves be interrupted in that little way to follow this wandering preacher who ended up changing their life. I think we all, we've, we've all seen plenty of relationships come and go. We're discerning, like, is the Lord calling me to marry this person? And the relationship ends, but they would never have known the answer if they'd never started dating. I have plenty of friends who have entered seminaries or into the convent not knowing if they would be able to finish if the Lord was actually calling them to the priesthood. I entered the seminary not knowing if the Lord was calling me to, to finish, to enter the priesthood, but none of us would have ever known if we had never started. Jesus, I think today, is inviting us to make the decision to start. To let ourselves be interrupted by him in the very smallest of ways so that he can show us his, his, his ultimately his love and his presence with us. So I love, I love the second reading that, that the church gives us today. It's a letter to Philemon. It's a, one of the smallest books in the whole Bible, like literally half a page, 20 sentences. It's about some dispute between Philemon, a church leader, and a runaway, ser a runaway servant he had, Onesimus. Very minor conflict that for some reason Paul felt the Lord calling him to interrupt himself, to insert himself into that, that dispute. And I'm sure Paul wrote that letter, not thinking twice about it, not thinking 2,000 years later we'd be reading that very letter all around the world. That that letter would be become part of the inspired word of God. And I think what one thing that that letter reveals to us is that how even in the smallest of ways, the smallest of things that seem so insignificant, if we follow that prompting of the Lord to interrupt our own plans, great things can happen that end up changing the world. Ways that we'll never be able to see it, never be able, we, may, we may never see it, but it changes hearts that, that, and it changes lives whenever we let ourselves be interrupted by Jesus so that he can act. We can prefer that to all else that has real power. And so the question today, I think, is in what ways 
is the Lord inviting us to let him interrupt our own plans, interrupt our own lives, so that he can enter in? What ways is he inviting you to do that? May we have the courage to let him enter in, to let him interrupt us so that he can reveal himself to us more fully.